Have you ever wondered if it's possible to live in sync with your cycle? Do you struggle with a negative mindset around your period? Are you wondering if it's possible to be feminist and anti-birth control? We're going to explore these questions and so much more in the Managing Your Fertility podcast, because this is about helping you live a whole and full life. I'm your host and guide, Bridget Busacker, joining you in this journey of exploration related to women's healthcare, feminism, and fertility awareness. Are you ready? Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Bridget Busacker. I am grateful to have you here. And I want to continue the conversation around hormonal contraceptives, specifically looking at why men don't take hormonal contraceptives. Unlike women, men are fertile all the time. And I think this is something that um, many men and women don't realize, especially women in the context of their fertility. Women are not fertile all the time. You are fertile during a very specific window when you are ovulating. And then yes, sperm can hang around for a little bit to fertilize an egg, but we are far less fertile than men. Men are fertile all the time. So I'm, I want to be clear here as I go through um, today's episode and talking about why men are on hormonal contraception, what's going on with that historically, socially. Um, I want to make sure and be clear here that my stance is that women and men both should not be on hormonal contraception for scientific and moral reasons. Um, I really think that men and women should understand and learn their bodies. And through that, I think there is so much fruit and so much goodness that comes from men and women understanding and respecting their fertilities and being able to understand how they work together and having that bodily autonomy and that health literacy to make informed decisions around their health. Okay. So as we go into this topic, I want to go back in time to the fifties when Margaret Sanger was wishing for that magic pill. As she was wrapping up her career, she was in her 70s. She was very much hoping that she would find a physician or two, and she got two, Dr. Rock and Dr. Pincus, to help her develop the magic pill that would allow women to avoid pregnancy. And I I have on the blog, and I'll share this in the show notes, a history of the pill so you can have a better sense for what was going on in the context of that time and and moving through um, the 50s through the 70s predominantly and what was taking place in that time in history. So at that time um, in the 50s, men's hormonal contraception was not addressed. And this was actually in part because Margaret Sanger didn't believe that men held responsibility or should hold responsibility for birth control. She didn't think that men should have this role responsibility of taking or using any type of hormonal contraceptive. Um, and this is why she really wanted to develop a magic pill that women could take because she argued that women should have the bodily autonomy and be able to take contraception to protect herself from her husband. So this is language that she used a lot in her writings and really felt strongly that women should be able to protect themselves from their husbands. I think there's such issue to take here, just at at this beginning point, that women need to protect themselves from their husbands. What is going on socially at this time that women feel the need to protect themselves and need to be able to find a way to make sure that their health is valued, that they're um, able to space out pregnancies healthily, that they're able to prioritize their own health as well. For context, you know, we're looking at a time when men and women were not seen as partners. You know, you can go back to an earlier time in, in Margaret Sanger's career, you're looking at the 20s, and you're seeing what, you know, let's take a moment and look through her eyes. She is seeing that Women uh, do not have ownership of property. They don't share property rights with their husband. Uh, Really isn't a way for women to make money. 
and women don't have rights to their children. And up until the 60s, men could divorce their wives for denying their wives, denying them sex. Okay. So we have to understand here why I think some of Margaret Sanger's passion and where it's coming from, why it exists, um, because she is seeing these detrimental effects. And while I do not support her belief in eugenics and her writings on eugenics, you know, I can understand why she had this desire to put control into the woman's hands. Because when I read this now, I'm thinking, protect yourself from her husband. Like we have so many conversations and I, and I, you know, personally, but professionally here too. And I'm seeing online around like, how do you love your spouse? How does he love you? How do you have a partnership? How are you on the same team? We're in a very different place when it comes to relationships and marital relationships between men and women. I'm not saying it's perfect, but there is a lot more transparency and a lot more conversation taking place. And um, you know, while we still see that struggle of, of women needing to fit into society by taking a pill, and I talk about that in uh, a previous episode, which I'll link to as well, um, we did we do see these changes, whether you want to attribute it to the pill or not. I think some attribution could be made to it, but there were so many other pieces at play as well that it, it's a much more nuanced conversation. But so um, understanding that and understanding where Margaret Sanger is coming from is really helpful. But I don't think that we should condone this as we move forward because you know we're we're getting at the heart of the issue right like men being able to dominate over their wives and having all this control and these rights and this ability to divorce them um that really doesn't put them on uh i don't know if it's you know yes equal footing ground but really a partnership we're not looking at a relationship as a partnership as something that can be cultivated we're seeing these really dark aspects of relationships and why it could seem very contractual because it was. Um, there's a really great scene in Little Women in the the latest version from 2019, in which Amy and Lori are having a conversation, and Amy goes off on Lori because Lori challenges her. You should marry for love. Like why wouldn't you want to marry for love? And she goes off on him and says, I don't have rights to property. I don't have rights to my children. I don't have rights. In, in anything really. So marriage is an opportunity for security for me to, to be able to have a life in which, yes, I may not have these rights, but I have to work with what I can and I'm going to marry for money. And it's, it's, it's the scene that I think at first you might watch and be like, oh my gosh, like, all right, all the feminists are like cheering. But actually she was speaking to a reality that was very prominent and very prevalent for many women in that time and why they did look to marrying different classes, marrying for money, marrying for security. Um, this idea of marrying for love, uh, really dominant in the last 50 years. And, and that's not to say relationships pre 50 years, pre hundred years, like they never, they were never loving. They were never beautiful. Yes, they definitely were, but let's highlight contextualize what the heck is going on at this time. Okay. So we have a better understanding for, for Margaret Sanger and her desire for women to have hormonal contraception and what's taking place at that time. She really believed women's job was to be responsible for the pregnancies because she was the one undergoing the job of, you know, holding a life, being pregnant and thought that she should be responsible for those decisions. So given all this context, I can understand where she was coming from. However, this did not allow at getting at the root issue of these decisions and these laws in place that women were not partners with their spouse. 
So instead of identifying these deeper issues and seeing, okay, how do we oust these laws and how do we recognize that, yes, a woman has a right to vote. Yes, she has a right to property. Yes, she has a right to her children. And yes, she has the right to say no to sex for for various reasons in her relationship. What's what's going on here? Um, And that we're not addressing these deeper root cause issues by introducing contraception we're not actually getting at the heart of these issues that really need to change and really identifying the hearts of men that need to be changed and challenged too. And that's not to say I only am going to blame men for all of these things, but again, we're focusing on an episode on male hormonal contraception and at the time what's taking place. So you have this introduction of the, the pill, you have the introduction of hormonal contraception, and we're finding now that women are expressing the the burden of being responsible for family planning. So they're feeling the weight of this responsibility and the possibility of becoming pregnant. In addition to that, women are also expressing the health challenges and the side effects of hormonal contraceptive use. And it's becoming more popularly identified and addressed and discussed as it being unfair and an injustice to women yet again. We're coming back to the same problem. Hey, wait a minute. In an attempt to have women gain more control, we're actually paying the price with our bodies now. Now we're navigating side effects. And I want to point out too, that not every woman has side effects with hormonal contraception. Sometimes it is very, very mild and sometimes it's very severe. So that range exists. And in in that initial post that I wrote about in history of contraception, I go into this as well to note when hormonal contraception was being developed in, in, in trials and they were studying and looking to see how is it impacting women, there was a study done in Puerto Rico specifically where two female physicians pointed out the challenges um, and, and really how harmful it was on women's bodies that women were dropping out of these studies because it was so hard and it was so hard on the body because they did not have the hormonal formulation correct. And they, they also just were not understanding, you know, <laughs> this wasn't really working. This wasn't a good idea to stop women's ovu- from ovulating. Ovulation is a sign of an optimal cycle. It's also a good sign of overall great health in a woman. So you have these two female p- physicians that point out to uh, the lead doctor on this study and his colleagues who are all male, no, all male. And they highlighted these challenges and they said, no, 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 it's not that bad. The doctor and and his colleagues said, no, we're going to bid it to the FDA. We're going to look for their support and it's approved. So women's voices are not listened to in this process, which is really frustrating. And I think the irony in this whole introduction of hormonal contraception, and yet that Margaret wanted this to be able to give women um, more bodily autonomy, more freedom. And yet here we are, women's voice is not being listened to and the side effects, it's just not it. So in an attempt to have this magic pill, we're pushing aside a very real uh, conversation and points that are being brought up saying, this isn't working for women. Um, instead of making it better or saying, okay, how do we change the formulations? What do we do? Um, they push it through and the FDA approves it. And by 1960, you have hormonal contraception available for women to use predominantly by married women, but you know, in a few years, it becomes available for unmarried women as well. And I think some of the questions we just, we need to figure out here and think about are why should women have to turn off their bodies, right? I just noted here that ovulation is a sign of a, of a healthy cycle and optimal health, overall health in a woman. And what hormonal contraception does in the introduction, usually it's a combination of estrogen, progestin, and you're looking at synthetic hormones and it stops ovulation from occurring. And there's argument, you know, that as is said that your body is uh, essentially thinking that it's pregnant. Well, when you're not ovulating, that's similar to a woman who's pregnant and a woman who is in uh, menopause. 
However, the difference between a woman who's using hormonal contraception is that you are doing it synthetically. And a pregnant woman and a, and a menopausal woman, it's happening, happening naturally. So there are more health risks and challenges to the body when you are synthetically introducing these hormones and artificially stopping ovulation. So it also begs the question, why should women have to undergo the side effects, right? These side effects, by the way, include impacting libido. Usually women have reported low libido. And I've had stories of women who have come to me and shared, you know, they were navigating just a crappy sex life and they were not enjoying it. Their libido was really low. They weren't really connecting that the use of their hormonal contraception could be causing the side effect. It wasn't explained in the doctor's office. And yes, while, you know, labels are there to explain side effects on the pharmaceutical drugs, um, this was not clear to the women who were talking with me. And they said that once they finally put it together, that it may be their hormonal contraception and got out of, off of it and their hormones regulated, um, their libido went up their sex got so much better. And I think that's so important to add to this conversation that in order to prevent pregnancy, we also had this time where um, hormonal contraception is being introduced at the time of the 60s free love movement. You have Betty Friedan and the feminine mystique coming out and, and, and saying that, you know, some of her key arguments were that women shouldn't have to have children. Women should be able to have multiple sexual partners. We shouldn't have to be uh, stuck at home and we should be able to be like men and being able to participate in society. However, where these things really culminated and went sideways is that, you know, women are on hormonal contraception. They're participating in society. They may be having multiple sexual partners or not. They're also adding an unenjoyable sex to the list. And how, how ironic is that? We also have women navigating long-term health impacts from hormonal contraceptive use. And there are studies coming out and being conducted currently um, looking at the side effects for hormonal contraception. So all of this is happening. And I want to go back to and tie in what about male hormonal contraceptive use? So interestingly, in recent years, studies have been conducted around male hormonal contraceptive use. And many of the studies have actually failed to continue or produce results because men were very vocal about the adverse side effects and they were unwilling to continue. Some who continued said, I will not continue doing this and continuing this lifestyle because it was too hard on them and they did not like those side effects. Now, it's also important to note that pharmaceutical companies aren't inclined to invest in male contraceptives right now. And why? It's because that hormonal contraception for females is a billion dollar industry. Well, it's, it's more than a billion dollars, but it's in the billions of dollars. It's quite lucrative as an industry now. And, and you know, to be fair, it's been around for 50 years. There, there's been fine tuning. We've adjusted the hormone levels. So side effects aren't quite as severe as when it was first rolled out in the fifties and officially rolled out to a wider audience in the sixties. But I think it's so bizarre and sad that the idea of increasing male hormonal contraceptives may mean a decrease in female hormonal contraceptives, which means that profits decrease. So we have to be honest too, that the pharmaceutical companies are making money from the introduction of hormonal contraceptives, and it's making lots of money. So there's also that at play that is impeding research being done to introduce male hormonal contraceptives because it's a moneymaker, it's working. Um, and I think we have to expand upon, you know, what does it mean to really work? Because if women are dealing with side effects and they're not really being addressed, is that really working? 
sure, maybe it's working for men, you know, they're, they're not having to navigate, you know, the, the risk of saying, you know, Hey, you are the father, uh, as Maury would say, but, uh, you know, we're seeing impacts on women's health and impacting their sexual lives, which I think it's important to know, you know, that's not the only side effect, but I want to call that out, especially when the, when the language, a lot of times around, um, women's use of hormonal contraceptives, uh, can be that you have sexual freedom, you have sexual license to be able to participate as a man does, right? And you don't have to have the, uh, the consequence of pregnancy. So I think what's unfortunate in all of this is that there isn't this altruistic view of women's health as a whole. Um, when we're talking about all of this, you know, you're looking at the combination of side effects, you're looking at sales and frankly, lack of body education and literacy too, for women. Um, you know, women have been navigating these side effects for years. And so I think the question arises, you know, why should women have to sacrifice their bodies and their experiences to enjoy sex without children? Shouldn't men also have to sacrifice and put up with side effects too? In a sense, it's meeting in the middle, right? But I think this is where the challenge lies in contraception, because even in asking that question, shouldn't men put up with this too? What are we going to do? How do we, how do we space pregnancies? How do we do all this? How do we meet in the middle? We're forgetting and and we're introducing the separation of babies and bonding. You're separating sex from marriage. You're believing a lot that only good sex comes without the possibility of children. And, and we forget that sex has the possibility and is designed to procreate life. That doesn't mean every time you have sex, you have to have a baby. It also doesn't mean you only have sex and you always avoid children. That reality of that, there is both at play. Physiologically, of course, there's the connection and, and the good feelings and the beauty of sex um, that absolutely exists for a couple. And they should be able to freely participate in that. In the same way, they need to freely participate in the possibility that a new life can be created. And so can we find a different way to be able to introduce a management of fertility between men and women that also allows for equal footing and partnership in this possibility of new life while also cultivating an excellent sex life, because that's also possible. And I think in a world that screams women's rights are important and necessary for freedom, I think we really have to ask, what have we given up? What are we putting up with in order to reach this elusive freedom? And is it really freedom? So this might feel like a gotcha episode, like, oh, okay, I thought we were going to talk about how men totally need to be on hormonal contraceptives, but really I'm not going to argue that because I think it's, I think it's foolish. I think it's foolish that we've also put women on hormonal contraception. And now we're in this weird space where now women feel the burden of family planning. They're dealing with the side effects. And at the end of the day, women aren't better off. Men kind of just stayed the same. <laughs> um, and I think that is something we need to be honest about. And this idea that like, well, you know, you might have to put up with this, but at least you're not pregnant is a foolish argument. It's a foolish one. And it doesn't actually address the problems that we're seeing and saying, okay, except for the fact that we're not seeing men being responsible for their actions there, you know, I've seen articles lately and, and there's a book titled, which I have not read. So I'm not here to endorse it. I do want to read it called ejaculate responsibly. And there's something to that, right? Like men need to be held responsible for their actions and what they're doing. And women do too. I'm not saying that women don't as well, but I think we have to be able to find a way to work together and to find a way to responsibly, yes, plan families in a way that actually honors the dignity of the human person and the new potential soul that is going to become into existence here if um, that's a reality in sex for that couple. So what's next in women's health and in men's health, right? There are a lot of conversations in the post-real world around men 
and their health. And we're seeing uh, more and more conversations and pressure for male hormonal contraceptive research to uh, take off in the next few years, because now that changes in the United States to um, abortion rights and access, this is, this is a topic now. Vasectomies, um, information and inquiries around vasectomies has really gone up. And this is just from June of 2022 that we're seeing this as well. So this is a really relevant conversation that we need to have. Are we really looking to also put men on hormonal contraception so they feel like crap and potentially say, you know what, let's just have a vasectomy and permanently sterilize you because the likelihood of reversal for vasectomies is actually really low. Um, it's a, it's, it's pretty much when you go in for a vasectomy, um, you're, you're basically told this is it. Um, the idea that, you know, you can reverse it like Michael Scott did in the office and not so much. So these are all really important aspects to the conversation that we need to have. And I'm, I'm not here to have all the answers, but I will say this. I don't think the answer is hormonal contraception for men. And I don't think it's for women either. I think the fact that we still haven't gotten, got to the heart of the issue and which goes back to what Margaret Sanger wanted for women to protect yourself from your husband. There's something wrong in that. There is an inherent lie in the fact that you have to protect yourself from your husband. And, you know, looking at the issues of that time, and and I think the carryover and the, um, I think the weight from those decisions still exists. The fact that women didn't have rights to vote, to property, to children, to be able to work. I think women are in fear that if contraception were to be taken away, we're going to undo all the laws in place for that. I think that's stupid. To, to argue that. I think that's absolutely a fear. That's not a reality. But I think it does beg the question, why are we so afraid of it? Why are we so afraid that that could happen? Clearly, we haven't identified and addressed the deeper issues at play. And I think I would like to believe, and I think that men are in a position that they want what's best for women. Yeah, there are some crap men out there. But I'd like to believe and I and I base this on good men in my life that I know that there are good men who want to advocate for women to love their bodies, to love their, their health, their dignity, their ability to work, to vote, to own property, to be blessed by their children and to have rights to their children. I want to believe those men exist. And because I know them, my belief goes up a lot more too. The fact that I am married to a man that does that, my hope, my hope soars because I believe that it's a possibility for women. And I think we need to stop the shaming of men in this, in this narrative that all men are bad. Why are we always glorifying these horror stories and these bad men that exist? And we, and we never highlight and glorify the good men that do exist, that are rooting for women, that are deciding to show up, to be a good husband, a good father, to be responsible in their fertility, to be loving and protective in a way that honors a woman and honors a man and his dignity too. I want you to just think about all of this. And I want you to think about what could it look like to have a world in which it won't be perfect, but we are working and we are striving together for partnership between men and women in relationship, in their fertility management, and in honoring the dignity of the person. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and help expand the conversation around women's health. If you'd like to learn more about fertility awareness, visit www.managingyourfertility.com for more information, resources, guides, and so much more.